At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we are going to be continuing a series we began a number of weeks ago called The Christmas Carols, where we've been seeking to know the hope of Christmas past, present, and future through the, the songs that we sing at Christmas time. And we have taken each week a different carol to look at the meaning of the words that we sing in that song. So we began a few weeks ago with Joy to the World, and then we continued with O Come All Ye Faithful and with What Child Is This? And today we're going to continue that series by looking at Hark the Herald Angels Sing, my, my favorite Christmas carol. But before we look at Hark the Herald Angels Sing together, I want to talk for a moment about the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And I'm going to do that because it's awesome, right? I love this show. I don't know if you realized it or not, but the Charlie Brown Christmas special came out in 1965, and it has been a part of uh, television programming in America for 53 years now. Um, and if you remember the story of the Charlie Brown Christmas special, just out of curiosity, how many of you have watched it this year? Okay, several of you have Netflix. That's great. So when you think about watching that show, what you'll find is that Charlie Brown enters Christmas depressed. He, he's just depressed at Christmas time. Something that Linus says of him, that's the Charlie Browniest thing he could do, is be depressed at Christmas time. But when Charlie walks around at the beginning parts of this show and looks around his life, he finds no reason for encouragement. As a matter of fact, he, he looks at his dog, and all his dog wants to do is decorate his doghouse with lights and all kinds of bells and whistles to try to win some kind of cash prize. And you can see in Charlie's eyes, it's like, is that what Christmas is really all about? And then he goes and he interacts with his little sister, and all his little sister wants is a bunch of different toys and things for Christmas. And you can just see that expression on his face, oh, good grief. Is that what Christmas is really all about. And then he begins to pour himself into the Christmas pageant. But his co-director in that pageant is all only really interested in self-acclaim or maybe a Christmas tree that's pink and made of aluminum. And at some point in the midst of all of that, Charlie has just had enough. And so he throws his head back and in the way that only he can, he exclaims, can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? Now, before we find the answer to that question, I want to just ask you for a moment. Have you ever had that feeling? Maybe it was this year, maybe it was a previous year, but maybe just in all of the hustle and bustle of this season, the, the cards that have to get mailed, the people you, you didn't hear from but you thought you should, the gifts that you purchased, the, the, the money that you spent too much of, the, the, the money you didn't have because you weren't able to buy the things that you wanted, all of the hustle and bustle of this season, the, the schedule that is full. And Have you ever just thrown your head back at some point at Christmas time and said, can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? Well, if we've ever had that thought, thankfully Linus steps forward and he says, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then with the lights dimming for mood, he begins to recite the words of Luke chapter 2. And it's interesting what Linus quotes when he reads Luke 2 is he's talking about the historical account 
of what happened on the night that Jesus was born. And specifically, he quotes what the angels said to the shepherds who were watching their sheep. In a sense, Linus says, you want to know what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown? You need to listen to the words that the angels were heralding that night. And so this morning, inside of our service, I want to remind us what Christmas is really all about by looking at the words the angels spoke the night that Jesus was born. And we're going to to do this by looking at the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and the scripture on which it is based. And so I want to begin this by first just reading three verses of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Again, if this is your first time with us in this series, don't worry, we will sing this song before we leave. But right now, I just want to read the words to Hark the Herald Angels Sing for us. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, glory to the newborn King, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Charles Wesley in this song reminds us to listen to what the angel said. So what did the angel say? Well, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 to 14 tell us. Beginning in verse 6, it says, And while they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. And so she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear." And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, in the words of these verses that the angels proclaimed that night, and in the words of the song that we just read, I want us to see two things today. The first thing I want us to see is I want us to hark the herald angels sing. Now, what does that phrase even mean? It means listen to what the angels heralded to what the angels said the night that Jesus was born. If we want to know what Christmas is all about, we need to listen 
to the announcement, the meaning that God spoke around that event through the angels on the first Christmas night. Now, what did the angels say? If we're going to listen to them, what did they proclaim? Well, beginning in verse 10, we we see what they said. The, The first thing that we see that they said was they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Now, it might be interesting to us to think about the first thing the angel said was fear not because we know how the story ends. We know that this is good news that the angels are bringing, and so we're not afraid when we read Luke chapter 2, but make no mistake, the shepherds would have been sore afraid. It was not normal for them to be visited by angels. We think that it's normal for shepherds who gather on hillsides outside of Bethlehem to be visited by angels because that's in our Christmas story, that's in our songs, that's in our nativity set. But in the first century, it would have been an absolute shock to those shepherds to be visited by these angels. Remember, this was at the end of an extended period of silence where God did not even send a prophet to his people, much less angels in the sky. And yet here they were, and they were surrounded by angels, and, and they were afraid. They were terrified is what the passage tells us. And rightfully so, because they didn't know what this strange experience meant. You know, think about the last time you went camping at a very dark location. Maybe you went camping down the Wichita Mountains, and there's not any light around there. And imagine when it's pitch black out there, suddenly a car drives up, and the spotlights begin to shine on you. And somebody who's obviously in authority stands out, and on a bullhorn they say, hey, we need to talk to you. You would be afraid, right? That's not normal. That's not natural. You're thinking, was there a burn ban in effect? I'm sorry, I made the fire. Now imagine, ramp that up a thousand times because the spokesman was not a spokesman for the National Park Service. It was God and his representative through the angel. And the glory was not just some lights on the front of a car. It was the glory of the Lord that shone around them. They were terrified. The angel wants them to know that they need not fear. They need not fear because they've not come to shine a spotlight on their failure. They've not come to to point out their, their flaws, but they've come to bring good news that will result in great joy. The first thing they say is fear not. Second thing they say is that this is good news of great joy that is for all the people. Now, that's a very important thing to say, and it, it's a, something that is amplified by who they said it to. Again, it's normal and natural for us to imagine this message coming to shepherds. They're a part of our nativity. But they would have expected no such invitation to a royal birth. Shepherds in that day were ceremonially unclean. They weren't even allowed to enter the temple, much less be in the presence of God himself. I mean, that was just a crazy thought. Shepherds were not people that would have been invited to special parties. They were supposed to keep their distance and stay on the fringes of society. But the angel shows up and he invites the shepherds and he says that this message is good news of great joy for all the people and it's amplified by the fact that it's coming to shepherds. In other words, it's for all the people, even you, shepherds. 
If the shepherds were included in this invitation, surely all of Israel was included. But God goes out of his way to emphatically let us know that this was not a message even just for all of Israel, but he put a star in the sky. And just as we saw last week, the Magi, who were Gentiles, foreigners from a faraway country, see that star and they know that they're invited to come as well. This is good news of great joy for all of the people, regardless of their gender, regardless of their background. This is a message for them. I bring you good news of of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day. Unto you is born. Don't let that, that word fly by you. Unto you is born this day. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke from the historical accounts that he gathered, was someone that I think as he wrote those words would have had a smile on his face. Unto you. He just smiles. He writes, I'm, I'm guessing. Why is that? Well, what, was, what do we know about Luke? Well, one of the things we know about Luke is that he was a physician. That's maybe the most famous thing we know about him. But what was his ethnicity? Where was he from? I'll give you a hint. He wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile. He came from another country. As he thinks about this being a message for all the people, as he said, unto you is born this day, he's saying, unto me, unto you, unto, unto all people is born this day. This baby, it's it's significant for all of us, not just for the Jewish people, it's significant for all of us. It says, unto you is born this day in the city of David. Another very important phrase. If you're with us last week, we talked a little bit about the significance of David. We talked about Jesus being the Christ, the, the one who fulfills the promises still yet given by God in the Old Testament. One of those promises was that a descendant of David would sit on a throne and rule forever and ever. His kingdom would know no end. By letting them know that this baby was born in the city of David, he was saying, Jesus is that one. He's the Christ. He's the one who would fulfill the promises of the eternal throne. That's him. He's born right there in that city, just up the hill from where they sit. And then he goes on, he says, born this day in the city of David, he says, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love the fact that he says here, a Savior. The very first thing he says about Jesus is that he was a Savior. He doesn't say, born to you this day in the city of David as a preacher. He doesn't say, born to you this day in the city of David as a miracle worker. He doesn't say, born to you this day in the city of David as a leader. Though Jesus was a leader, though Jesus was a preacher, though Jesus did work miracles, he says that Jesus was a Savior, and that's so significant because he's speaking there to our our greatest need. We need more than just our minds enlightened by his presentation, and we need more than just our bodies healed by his miracles. And we need more than just righteousness on the outside of us in the way that an administration would be put together. But we have a need of a Savior. We have a need for our sins to be forgiven, to be reconciled again to God. Jesus here is described as the Savior, Christ, the Lord. Pointing 
obviously to his eventual death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave that makes it possible for us to be forgiven and connected with God forever. A Savior, Christ the Lord. And then verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You wonder, what is verse 12? What's the significance of that? Of all the things that are left out of this story, why is that detail included? I'll tell you why it's included. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. The angels didn't show up just so that the shepherds would know that he was born. They were invited to come and visit him. They said, this is where you'll find him. Go check him out. Be like if you got a, a card in the mail that, that gave you some information, like a, like a newspaper, right? You, you see a newspaper, it talks about the events of the day. It's interesting, but if you get a card in the mail and at the bottom of it, it has a date and it has a place and it has a, a number or an email address to RSVP, what, how do you interpret that? It's not just something that happened, it's something that you're invited to. By virtue of the The angels telling the shepherds where and how they could identify him, they were saying, you're invited to come, not just to know about this, but to be connected to him, to go and to worship him. And then after they issue that invitation, a number of angels show up in the sky and they begin to sing glory to God in the highest. Now, I think that's a a beautiful phrase because it's a reminder of, that the glory of God was returning. You know, in the, in the Old Testament time, the glory of the Lord rested inside of the nation of Israel and, and even over a place that was the Holy of Holies in the temple. But in the time of Ezekiel, the glory of the Lord left. It left Israel. Because of their disobedience in a spectacular way, it took off. But when the angels are singing and they're talking about the glory of the Lord, what they're saying is the glory of the Lord is coming back, but it's not coming back to the temple, not coming back to a building. It's coming back to the manger. We saw a couple weeks ago in John's gospel in the first chapter, it talks about the glory of the Lord dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ. Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. And they sing of this glory. The, the angels can't contain their excitement in seeing what the Lord is doing. And then they recognize not only the glory of God, but also the peace that that will bring to the earth. Sins could be forgiven. Peace could be made between God and men and women. They could be reconciled forever. There could be peace, as Romans 5 will explain for us. And with that peace that exists between God and man and women, also there is peace that can exist between us as we live out our lives on this earth. That's what the angels said. When we sing the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, what we're saying is we need to listen to what they said. Because in what they said, we find the real meaning of Christmas. And we find our real hope in all of life. And so because of that, I want to take just a moment and and I want to make this a little more personal uh, for each of us. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back to your year. Just think back over the last 12 months, 2018. And I want you to put together in your own mind kind of a, a, a greatest hits of your year. Now, I don't mean just the, the highlights. I just mean the most memorable things. 
For some of you, it might be like an, an EP. Maybe there's five big events from the year. But for others of you, it might be an LP. You might have 10, 12, 16 things that come to your mind, significant events of the year. Some of those things might be moments of triumph, a celebration, a a, a wedding, or a graduation, a a new job, some of those kinds of things. For others of you, the, the big hits of the last year, though, might, the big memorable things might be challenging things, that diagnosis of cancer, the divorce, a sin that you committed at some point, an addiction that you couldn't kick, something that that sprung back up, a relationship that broke. When you think of the last year, there are a number of things that no doubt come to your mind. And I know when I when I say that, uh, you're like, well, if you were just be quiet for a second, I could really think about it. Well, it, just humor me for a moment. Maybe you need to continue this exercise after you leave, but I want you to think about the events of your year. And then I want you to imagine in the midst of those events that the glory of the Lord showed up in that moment. The glory of the Lord showed up as you walked out of the doctor's office or set down the phone after the diagnosis came. The glory of the Lord shows up in in the moment after you have have had that sin or gotten back into that addiction, that moment of shame, and and there the glory of the Lord shows up. The the glory of the Lord shows up in 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 that moment of celebration at your graduation or at the new job, or the the glory of the Lord shows up right after you walk out of your boss's office and you found out you don't have a job anymore. I want you to think about your experience of the last year and think about what if the glory of the Lord showed up in that moment. And I want to ask you, what what emotion comes to your mind in that, in that time? For some of you, as I say that, and you think of the glory of the Lord showing up in that moment, you would, you would think of, oh, this is encouraging. It's encouraging for me to, to know that, that God is aware of this situation and He's here. But for others of you, it might be frustration. What, what God, you, you knew about this? You come now? Why, why now? Why not five minutes ago? Why not an hour ago? And yet still for others, the glory of the Lord shows up in that moment and there might be a fear. Wait, God knows I did that? I thought nobody knew. I tried to cover that up and yet God, God knows? What, what's going to happen now? Well, friends, in the midst of those feelings, Jesus came to be God with us. And as he came to be God with us, he provided the opportunity for us to hear the words in those moments of our last year and in the moments of the year ahead, fear not. How is it that we cannot fear when we are fallen? How is it that we cannot fear when we are broken? How is it that we cannot fear when our circumstances are always changing up and down like a stock market? How is it that we cannot fear? We cannot fear if we know Jesus Christ. Because unto you, friends, is born 2,000 years ago a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And if we know Him and trust Him with our lives, then His peace resides within us. That's what we're told in the Christmas story. And so the question that I have for us is, how would we receive the glory of the Lord? Would we receive it in fear, or we receive it with a fear not. 
The answer to that is how we respond to the person of Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But the first thing we need to see from this passage is hark the herald angels sing. But the second thing I want us to see is from the third verse of our song. Inside of that third verse, there's this great line where it says that Jesus was born to give them second birth. Jesus was born to give them, who's them? Us. Jesus was born to give you and I second birth. Now, when we think about Christmas, I mean, it said right there in the angels when they showed up, they, they said that Christmas was about the birth of Jesus. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christmas is about a birth. We, we heard it earlier. The, the word Noel is, is a word that means arising from a birth. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. But what's fascinating inside of this song that Charles Wesley wrote, inside of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is this great line that says that Christmas is not only a reminder of the birth of Jesus, but Christmas gives each of us the opportunity to remember a new birth, a second birth that is offered to each of us in Christ. Now, where does that idea come from? Well, it comes from the words of Jesus himself. When we talk of being born again, sometimes people mistakenly think that that concept of being born again is something that is a modern evangelical invention. It's a demographic study. But the idea of being born again is is not a new idea. It's an old idea, and it comes from the, the mouth of Jesus himself. And in John chapter 3, Jesus was interacting with a man named Nicodemus who was a ruler of the Jews. And, and Nicodemus is beginning to flatter Jesus and saying, hey, we can tell that God is doing something among you and he's, he's working through you in some way. We recognize that. It'd be a blind person to not see what is happening around you. That's what Nicodemus says to Jesus. But Jesus makes a turn and says, it's not just about watching me do amazing things. I've come to offer you a new life. Verse 3 of John 3, Jesus answers Nicodemus and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, the idea of being born again is not a concept for the marines of religiosity. It's not a concept for only for some, but it's for anyone who wants any hope of spending an eternity with God in heaven, it will require a second birth. Well, when Nicodemus hears that, verse 4, he responds incredulously and says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? In other words, Jesus, that's crazy talk. I'm not going back in there. Verse 5, Jesus answers them and lets him know that it's, it's not a physical birth that he's talking about. It's a spiritual birth. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying the second birth, the new birth, being born again is not about a new physical body. It's about a new spiritual life. 
a life that is eternal. Well, how do we be born again then? Well, Jesus answers that question in John 3.16. One of the most famous verses of the Bible gets its context out of this conversation with Nicodemus about being born again. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In other words, the way that you and I are born again, the way that you and I get a new spiritual life, a spiritual life that is not marked by our sin and our failure, but is marked by his righteousness and his forgiveness. How is it that we have that kind of a new life? It happens when we believe in Jesus, when we embrace him in faith. We believe that he's the son of God and that his death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. When we believe that, then we are given a new birth, a new life, a new beginning. And it's a new life that is described here as eternal. It will know no end. Now, when you think about that, uh, that's a beautiful promise for anyone who has blown it, for anyone who has fallen short of God's glory. And here's the thing, who has blown it? Who has fallen short of God's glory? All of us right? All of us. Some of our sins are written about in a newspaper. And even in history, some of our sins are written about in a book that becomes the bestseller of all time. And those are the sins of the Apostle Peter. They were recorded in this book and translated into hundreds of languages and preserved for people 2,000 years later to know about. Because his fall was so known, I think that Peter couldn't just, he couldn't help as he writes his letter, 1 Peter, to believers in Asia. He says this to them in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and following. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What Peter says there is he says that God has, in Christ, caused us to be born again to a new spiritual life that will know no end. It's incorruptible. It will never fall apart. Now, contrast that with our our earthly life. Right, I, my my parents are Dick and Beverly Robinson, and I've I've been blessed in life to be their son. Um, in so many ways, I'm so thankful for that. When I think about my life as uh, their child, uh, there are a number of things that are true about me because of my connection to them. One of them is my nose is shaped the way that it is. You can't deny it. Another one is my hair is the color that it is. My, my height is what it is because of my connection to my earthly parents. But here's the thing. I, I got more than just hair color and nose shape from them. You know what else I got from my parents? I got a death sentence. Because all of us who are born in this world, our physical birth leads to a physical death. And not only am I going to die one day, but... I'm falling apart all the time, right? Can anybody relate to that? 
My hair color, which is dark up here, just last week I let it grow down here a little bit, and it's not that color anymore. And I realized it's the corruptible nature of this life. I'm reminded of that when I look in the mirror. But what Peter reminds us of in in these verses is he says, guess what? The spiritual life, the the born-again life that Jesus offers, it's incorruptible. It will not grow weary and tired. The forgiveness that he offered will be with you forever. The righteousness that he gives will be with you forever. The presence that he is with you, he will be with you forever. Those are the marks of a born-again life. And so as we gather here today at Christmas time and we remember his birth, may we also remember and never forget the second birth that is offered in Christ. You know, many preachers have taken these verses in John 3 and they've, they've put a, a little phrase to it. I couldn't find exactly who first said this, but it's a great phrase. It says, if we are born once, we die twice. In other words, my physical birth leads to a physical death, and if I die a physical death without Christ, then I will also have a spiritual death and a separation from God forever. But if I am born twice, born once physically, but born again spiritually, then I still only die once. Though my body may die, I will live, and you can too. So this Christmas... As we gather and as we worship, as we remember the birth of Jesus, let's also remember the new birth. And for many of you, that's a new birth that began years ago. And I would just encourage you at some point during this Christmas season to celebrate that new birth by telling the story of how you came to Christ and his mercy and grace to you with someone you know this year. But for others, if you are here today and you have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, Make this Christmas your rebirth. Allow God, our Father, in Christ to give you the incorruptible gift of forgiveness and hope everlasting. And you can begin that new life even right now as we pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of worshiping today. Thank you for the the hope that we have in Christ, that we can know that hope, that you preserved the words the angel said that night so that we could hear them and know them and be encouraged by them even today. Father, I pray for each and every person in this room and everyone who hears my voice now, Father, that we would be a people who would not just have our physical birth, but that we would have a rebirth, a new birth, that we would be born again in the power of Jesus as we trust him for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for that opportunity. And I pray that you would give each of us the faith to trust you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.